Welcome back, everybody. Episode 37 of the Sports Gospel Podcast. We, uh, What's up? Oh, goodness gracious. You hear that? We're in a studio. It's been a long time. We have our face-to-face in a studio for once. It's great to be back and have this feeling and this wonderful, wonderful audio quality and all this technology around us that we're going to try not to break. Yeah, and apparently I don't know how to speak into a microphone anymore because that was really loud yeah, and obnoxious. You kind of just screamed. Yeah, I, not intentionally. I thought that that was going to come out differently, but apparently, you know, we're still we're still learning over here. That's that, this is how we learn. Yeah, you know, growth. So we had to find a substitute this week. So we brought Austin in off the bench. That's two episodes in a row with you. I don't know last time we had that, but we are going to do an all college football episode this week. Kind of our our bowl season preview spectacular. Uh, actually, recording this on a day of some sad news. So Austin's here grieving. Mario Cristobal leaving the Oregon Ducks for Miami Hurricanes. The Miami Hurricanes. The the Miami Hurricanes, or is that only Ohio State? That's only Ohio State. But Austin, a diehard Duck fan. So, uh, are you are you, are you gonna be okay? You know, I I'll be fine. And part of the reason why I think it's gonna be okay is because Mario Cristobal. You know, everybody up here. You know, we really like. We were grateful for him because he came. Um, I don't even remember the guy's name who left us, but he can go away forever. Helfrich? Nope. Was it, was it Mark Helfrich? Uh, no, he didn't come from that. I'm uh, make up that name. Um, but he came from, gosh dang it, he went, to, he went up going back to Florida State. Um, I don't remember his name. but Oh, Willie. There it is. And so he kind of came out of that regime, you know, and uh, he kind of brought some Alabama blood with him a little bit, right, because he was coaching under Nick Saban back in 2015. But... You know, as as amazing as he was, he was quite. A, he was a really, really good recruiter, and he he loved the players and was really good at doing that. But you know, his offenses and his offensive coordinators have never really been uh, amazing because he kind of has the idea that like because because he's a lineman, that brute force strength is going to win you games. And when you go for it on fourth and two, third and two, like run the ball, like if you don't get two yards, you don't deserve to win the game. Kind of deal. That's always kind of been his mentality, which. It's fine, I get it, but also, like, in the new age of college football with the flash and dash and getting the ball on the edge and the creative play calling, like, there's more to run, there's more to winning games than trying to win, run the ball up the middle, you know, 50 times in a ball game and, you know, kind of imposing your will on a team a little bit. And so um, he was an amazing recruiter, and I'll never take that away from him, um, but he is going back, back home, right? His mom lives in Miami. He grew up in Miami, played for Miami, all the things. So going there, it makes total sense for him, and I'm really happy for him, and I hope that he you know, finds a lot of success at a program that really has struggled over the last probably 10 years or so. Um, and so I'm not too worried about kind of what's going to happen in the Oregon Ducks um, program, right? You, you know, they are very fortunate that they have a really uh, uh, really nice, um, famous donor. And so I don't know that they're really going to be able to – they're really going to go anywhere. I think they'll be able to find a coach and kind of continue the streak that they're on right now. So Mario had four full years here. 2018 was his first season. Looks like he coached the 2017 bowl game, but went 35 and 13, uh, 35 and 12, sorry, in four full seasons, uh, 12 and two. So a Rose Bowl win, a loss in the Fiesta Bowl. So probably would have been even better in 2010, but or 2020 due to the COVID shortened season. And recruiting is his big thing. He he left the cupboard full, which. I think he left the program better than he found it with his recruiting acumen. That's what everybody says. He's a great X's and O's coach, I think, and he can develop players. But recruiting is his M.O., which Miami sorely needs. There's all that talent down there, which it's weird that all the Florida schools are terrible right now. 
given all the talent that's in that state, I know you're competing against the rest of the SEC and Clemson, but I think he will... Miami is its own weird situation. Everything you mentioned, the personal connection, being an alum, that's the only reason Miami makes sense for him. I think Oregon is absolutely a much better job than Miami, but he's got all those personal connections, plus to be with his mom, who it sounds like he was routinely making flights from Eugene to Miami to be with her, which if you've ever been to the Eugene airport, uh, so can't fault him for that. I think Oregon is in good shape. Uh, Ty Thompson, I think, is the real deal, the next up-and-coming quarterback they've got there. And you see the guys he brought in, Noah Sewell, Justin Flo, Kayvon Thibodeau. I think uh, two of those guys will be back. I don't think the other ones are going pro yet with Thibodeau, or are they even old enough to? No, they they were freshmen this year. So. Okay. so those guys will all be back. I think Oregon probably is the favorite to win the Pac-12 next year. We'll get to the other team in the conference who may challenge that. But they're, they've got to be the favorite to win the North and probably the Pac-12 next year. I am curious who they're going to go after as a coach. As we're recording this, we don't know who yet, who it will be. I do think they would have loved to have had this earlier. Were they in a, I don't think they were in the running for a Lincoln Riley, but a, a Kalen DeBoer, who ended up at Washington, I think they would have liked to have him. Matt Campbell and Luke Fickle, who are going to come up every time there's a job opening at a bigger school, I don't think either one of them are really West Coast, Oregon, Pac-12 guys. The one that I really like that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about is P.J. Fleck. I think he's done a decent job at Minnesota, not not the highest. You know, He had one good year there, and he's been a little bit down, but I think a guy who can really turn it around, especially when you've got Uncle Phil's money at Oregon, you would have him. Dave Aranda is the other big one that I like, but he just signed a huge deal at Baylor. Would he want to leave And you know, after signing all that and getting all that Texas talent to come out to Oregon? Jeff Munkin is a guy at Army that I talk about a lot that nobody else ever seems to agree with me on. When you can turn around Army football, you're doing something right. I think he's just due for a big job eventually. And then one I'm going to throw out of left field. Chris Peterson. That one, he's not going to come back and coach the Ducks. I'm just going to – the reason the reason why he left college football to begin with was not because he doesn't love coaching college football. It doesn't, not, it's not because he doesn't love the game. The reason why he left is because he doesn't love the recruiting and the culture of the kids. And it's not that he doesn't love the kids, but he doesn't – like having to recruit on Twitter and, you know, do Instagram stories. And, you know, it's just a different culture of kids that he grew up recruiting when he was, you know, coaching at Boise State and when he was coaching at Washington in the early, in the early days. And so I don't know that that one is possible. But another one that's kind of been thrown out and I kind of want to hear your opinion on this is Chip Kelly. There are some rumors, I don't know how true it is, of him coming back up to Oregon. So what do you think about that one? I absolutely love that idea. I I feel like or, it's weird to think that he was only here for four years for everything he did in those four years. I've heard people say he's a gimmick. The game has passed him by, yada, yada, yada. Duck fans are kind of like weirdly bitter that he left. Like, I, you should be grateful for everything that guy did for this program. But I would absolutely be on board. If you're if you're the Duck fans, why wouldn't you want to give Chip Kelly another chance? I think he almost left preemptively, and he could have done a lot more had he stayed here. So I'm all on board with Chip Kelly coming back if they wanted to do it. I think you're right on Chris Peterson. And now you add NIL and everything that brings to the table. I think he would, and I'm guessing a lot of coaches will do this. You're going to bring on like a coordinator for all that kind of stuff. And then you don't have to worry about that. But I, I think you're spot on with that. He's probably got a pretty good gig up there at the university of Washington and some kind of sports advisory role that he's got. But I think I would love to see it. Uh, I'm blanking on a name, but the guy down at Boise state used to be an assistant at Oregon. But as, as a diehard duck fan, if you had your magic wand and you could pick, a feasible coach. You're not going to get Dabo, but if you could 
Who's who's out there that tickles your fancy the most as a Duck fan? Yeah, um, well, you know, as we have learned, I am a big Minnesota guy. So if I were to bring anybody in, I've always been a huge fan of PJ Fleck with his. Yeah. He has his row the boat mentality, which you know it's kind of a weird mantra culture that he brings into brings into the community, but. You know, you listen to that guy talk. He loves his players. And, I mean, again, he turned around Western Michigan, turned them into a winning program. And you look at what Minnesota was able to do in, during his tenure. I mean, when they beat Penn State a couple years ago, that was incredible. Probably the, one of the biggest wins in their school history. They were a top, you know, in the top 15 um, at one point. Um, and barring an injury to their number one running back this year, they were in the first game of the season. You know, they were going to be a, a good team this year too. So um, he kind of dealt with a little bit of bad luck in that. Um, but if I were going to choose anybody, I love PJ Fleck. Um, and the other person that I really do think that, um, is an interesting one that I don't think that we really brought up was Dan Mullins, uh, you know, with his offense and what kind of he was able to do at Florida. I don't, again, it's one of those things where you give someone Nike money. Um, and it's kind of a recruiting, like he has a hand in recruiting cause he's been in the South for so long that he, you don't have to get everybody, but if you can get four or five guys and you take them out of Texas, take them out of Louisiana take them out of Florida, and you can bring them up to the Northwest where, you know, it is kind of the marquee program around here. Um, what is that? What what kind of culture does that bring to the Oregon football program? You right? Because that's kind of what they've always been missing is like oh, that one playmaker, that one standout offensive lineman, kind of the one quarterback, the guy that can really turn the tables and make a difference. Like if C.J. Stroud is playing for the Oregon Ducks, they're a completely different team this year, right? And so um, if you can get someone like that who can who's going to be able to recruit the South and get guys from down there, I think that makes a big difference too. So I wouldn't be shocked if Dan Mullins comes up here as well. Interesting. Well, we know he's available. Looking at some of these, Ed Orgeron's also, you get Ed Orgeron at Oregon. No, I think I'm okay. Okay. Great recruiter. Questionable on the X's and O's, but great recruiter. I've also heard Joe Brady. He's kind of credited as the brains behind that LSU team. And he's also now available after getting fired by the Panthers, but he con- he constructed that LSU Joe Burrow national champion team. Yeah, and I don't. And I think, I mean, not to go too far into that hole, but I do, I do think that with Venables going to Oklahoma, that Joe Brady's going to end up going there because ultimately that's who uh, Caleb Williams wanted to play under in the first place. He almost went to LSU. Um, and then Joe Brady ended up taking the job in the NFL. And so now Joe Brady's not there anymore. Um, but Caleb Bullins originally wanted to play for LSU and play in that offense. So I would be shocked if Joe Brady didn't end up back at Oklahoma and to coach up um, under Will Venables and Caleb, Caleb Williams there. Well, you brought up Mr. Brent Venables, the longtime coordinator for Clemson, now getting his first chance at a head coaching gig for Oklahoma. He was a longtime assistant under Bob Stoops there, so kind of coming home to Oregon, or Oregon, Oklahoma. Looking at some of the other coaching changes, I want, I feel like Manny Diaz will turn up somewhere. It may be too late in the game for him to get another job this year, but I think he did a good enough job at Miami. He'll get a chance somewhere else. Uh, the big one's Brent Venables taking over at Oklahoma for Lincoln Riley, who went to USC. Billy Napier leaving Louisiana. I absolutely love Billy Napier, what he's been able to do. I think he'll be a stud at Florida. Uh, Brian Kelly bailing on Notre Dame when they could have possibly had a playoff bid going to LSU. Bronco Mendenhall kind of surprisingly leaving Virginia. Uh, Kalen DeBoer, we mentioned, going from Fresno State to Washington. Justin Fuente getting ousted at Virginia Tech. Um, Sonny Cumbie, one of the best names in college football, one of those Texas Tech quarterbacks, now going to uh, Louisiana Tech. Sonny Dykes taking over at TCU. Uh, Who else do we have? Jerry Kill popping back up after his time at Minnesota, now at New Mexico State. Clay Helton, former USC coach, getting another job. He got his job pretty early too. Where did he? He's somewhere in Florida. Where is he at? Uh, not even close. He's at UConn. I mean, UConn. Okay. I mean, kind of close. Good. Good luck to any coach going to UConn. 
But looking at those, what stands out to you? The main ones, of course, obviously the Lincoln Riley dominoes that caused, and then Brian Kelly going from Notre Dame to LSU. But what's I think the one that shocked me the most was the Brian Kelly hire, and you know he's a really good coach, but it was, you know, he kind of had it made when he was at Notre Dame, and that's kind of thing that that uh, that shocked me and i don't know again because we're not inside the program we're not inside what he's been able to do there talking to the boosters or all of the things that he has to deal with so we don't see the ins and outs of what exactly is going on at notre dame and so because what what we've been what i have heard is that that he had that program topped out and he didn't feel like he could take them any farther he didn't know that they were going to be able to go over the top and win a national championship which ultimately if he's any sort of formidable coach that's his goal and so as amazing as that is program is to recruit to you know it's also has a high academic standards which you have to deal with and as was we've we've learned over the years recruiting to like having a program in the north that's a power like there aren't that doesn't really exist anymore right we have ohio state obviously we know how good they are and now michigan is kind of they i don't know how long they'll stay around um but they made it to the playoffs this year so that's good for them but Overall, in general, the bulk of the powers have been Southern teams, right? We look at the Alabamas, the Clemsons, um, you know, the teams that have been the South Oklahomas of the world. And so, you know, if he had that program topped out, then it, you can. There's, it's much more fertile recruiting ground in Louisiana, you know, down south. Obviously, he has all the competition with Link and Nick Saban, um, and all the other recruiters are going to be attacking that area. But at the same time, there is it's much more fertile ground, so he has a definitely a higher chance of going after that national championship, something that he still, as as a 60-year-old coach, hasn't achieved yet. And that's I think I agree with what you say, the topped out. You looked at what he did. He's the winningest coach in college in Notre Dame history as a football coach. He's got them to the postseason, but I think he's, like you said, you this is the best Notre Dame's going to do with him as the coach. Maybe somebody else can take them higher. Maybe that's just where we're at in college football right now, where that's as high as Notre Dame's going to get. He definitely left it in a better situation than he found it. Notre Dame was kind of on the downhill side for about a decade, and then he turned them around and to get them into the playoffs a couple times. And the that Manti Teo team that played Alabama back in the end of the BCS days. So I think he did what he could at Notre Dame. And if, like you say, you're 60 years old. Why not go for the challenge? It's the SEC. They're going to fire you after three years anyway because that's what the SEC does if you don't win a championship. But I say go for it. Go for the LSU gig. The way he left, I could see people being mad about that when you're still in the play for a, the playoff and a New Year's Six Bowl game for sure. That was kind of I, – I didn't appreciate that. But I absolutely understand the move and making the challenge. My question, though, did they want Lincoln Riley first? Because I think it was very curious that Lincoln Riley goes to USC and then within 24 hours LSU announces they got Brian Kelly. So did LSU lose out on Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly was their backup plan or was it just coincidental timing? You know, that's a really good question. I think the way that things turned out, I don't know that Lincoln Riley wanted to go to LSU because if he wanted to stay in, if he wanted to go to the SEC, he would have just stayed at Oklahoma. Um, I think the fit at USC when it comes in, when it comes to the large market, mar, large market, the NIL and everything, I don't know that Brian Kelly would have fit in at USC. And I think Lincoln Riley is a really good fit there because he's young. He has a lot of energy and he, you ha- kind of have to be an okay at like being in a head coach and not being the the number one star on the team. Like you go to USC, you got to understand like the quarterback potentially could be making you know a million dollars, right? The running back could be making um, over a million dollars, like with all this stuff going on. And so I don't think so because again, if he really wanted to coach in the SEC, why wouldn't he just stay at Oklahoma? It's a better job. It's a fine job. 
and you can you you're gonna have more recruiting when you move to the SEC. You're gonna have everything that you need and more, um, with all the all everything all this all everything that you can have there. So for me, I don't think I think it was more coincidence over than anything else. Um, and again, I don't know that Lincoln Riley was a great fit at LSU to begin with. So I don't know why he would have wanted to play, coach there in, in the first place. No, I I love the Lincoln Riley move to USC. I think he's you know young, good looking guy is gonna fit into that Hollywood motif that usc has i think that'll go well i would argue that california arizona some of the academies you have in vegas i think there's just as much recruiting that can be done as the on the west coast you're still close enough you can get some of those texas kids he's got the connections from the big 12 i think lincoln riley will be fine he can probably look at it and be like okay california's mine the west coast is mine who do i have to compete with oregon and who now doesn't know what they have for a coach so i think you know he's 38 lincoln riley i think will be fine at usc i like the fit the one I'm curious, fair or foul, people are saying he left because he was scared of the SEC. He didn't want to compete against the SEC, so he bolted before Oklahoma ended up over there, which feels a little shady. It feels like Paul Paul Feinbaum talking smack on somebody who's out of outside of the SEC, but is that is that justifiable claim that he's No, I don't think to? that's true. I think that a big reason why he left, and it's probably the same thing you could say about uh Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame is where like how much farther is Oklahoma really going to be like that's a really it's an honest question because he's been to the playoff two or three times now right I mean he got blasted by LSU in the playoff uh and you think and you I mean you nailed it right on the head I mean Bryce Young from Alabama is from California DJ Ugalele the quarterback for Clemson was a five-star quarterback from St. John Bosco from California Lincoln Riley's strength over the years I mean he had two straight Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks so if you think about you know baker mayfield baker mayfield was a walk-on like right now obviously we we know kind of how dynamic kyler murray was but let's not pretend like he you know he was he's 510 um you know can you imagine having that same kind of athleticism with a 6-4 quarterback five star coming out of la you know and there's going to be a lot more hype around that and so you know he's going to la where especially now and you mentioned it with cristobal leaving who else is really got? I mean, there's not a lot. There's not a lot of fences around that area, right? Chip Kelly's kind of done a little bit of a better job, but he's really built his program on transfers, and so you know, there's going to be a lot of recruits that are going to want to stay. I mean, Oklahoma already had like four or five D commitments out of their program, but there's the ability to recruit California versus the ability to recruit, you know, the likes of the South and Florida, and Louisiana, and Alabama. Again, like you're going up against some of the best recruits in the nation. And you're not going to be doing that when you're at USC. So maybe he is avoiding it a little bit, but at the same time, like if you can build program like USC into a dominant power, it's going to be significant. It's going to be a lot easier to do that than it is going to build a dominant program in the SEC based off of who you're competing against. Yeah. Like you mentioned, the player mobility is a huge aspect too, that these guys can up and leave easier than they used to be able to the transfer portal. I think a lot of the guys will follow him to USC. We'll see where Spencer Rattler ends up going. And they've already got a decent class coming in there to USC. I mean, that USC brand name will pull kids as well. Looking at some of the top recruits, there's the number nine overall recruit as a cornerback from modern day in California. So somebody like that, how quickly are they going to say, yes, I want to go here? We don't know that for sure, but I think it helps to have Lincoln Riley coming in there right in your own backyard to get all these Southern California kids. Yeah, and again, Lincoln Riley's strength is, has been quarterback play. There have some, been some dynamic quarterbacks that have left the state of California that if Pete Carroll was coaching there or when Pete Carroll was coaching there, those players didn't leave, right? Reggie Bush was from San Diego, right? Like Matt Leiner was from California. 
right? These are guys that, you know, they chose to stay at USC because of the brand. But Pete Carroll also recruited them to, in a sense, that they weren't going anywhere. And so if they can kind of bring that back with Lincoln Riley, I do think that they're going to become the kind of the horse of the Pac-12. And it's going to be hard to beat them in three or four years. I really do think that. Well, we'll keep an eye on some of these coaching changes as they go along here. And a lot of these teams are going to be going into bowl games with new coaches, maybe without coaches, maybe Bob Stoops as their coach. So we want to get into the bowl games this season. Uh, some of these wonderfully named bowls, we'll start here kind of early in the calendar. Don't want to shortchange all these. We're not going to go game by game. Ain't nobody got time for 42 bowl games. There's 42 bowl games. There needs to be 30. I don't care about the seventh team out of the ACC playing the seventh team out of the Big Ten. I don't know. Playing in the Bahamas sounds kind of nice. Right. So that's that's our that's our first bowl game, the Baha- the Bahamas Bowl, Middle Tennessee versus Toledo. You watch you watching that one, bell to bell. Only if I'm there. Okay. Uh, looking looking at some of these, you know, there's actually some fun ones in here. App State versus Western Kentucky. App State is six and zero in bowl games all time. So if you're looking to put down some men money, take the Mountaineers to beat the Hilltoppers there in the. Is it Boca Raton or Boca Raton? Boca Raton. You got to put the accent over the O. Oh, thank you. I don't. There's not one of those little things over Boca it. Raton. Also, I love the sponsors. Roofclaim.com. Can we do like a top three at the end of this? Just oh, like, of like, the sponsors. Okay. Uh, do you want to do the sponsors or the full name? No, the sponsors. Okay. Uh, yeah. Now, now I got to make notes. Barstool Sports. That is... I was going to get to that one because I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, just actually looking at the the games on paper, some of the ones we have here early on... BYU and UAB, BYUAB. That's that's a fun game. Uh, just I I love these little games because they give you rare matchups of games that you would not ever expect. Like Kent State and Wyoming. I didn't know that's a game I needed in my life, but if I'm at a bar watching Kent State Wyoming, I mean, and see that's the thing. Like I you're could, gonna knock on. I could find worse ways to spend a Tuesday. You're gonna knock on there being more bowls. I appreciate there being more bowls because for one, it gives kids an opportunity to play against a team that they will never play again ever again. See, I don't mind it for these smaller schools. Give UTSA and Wyoming and Kent State. I don't need. Of course, I clicked off of it. I don't need to see Vanderbilt play Illinois. Like, no, who cares? Well, Vanderbilt's not bowl eligible, anyways. So they're not playing in Thank a bowl. You. Thank you for neutering my point. You're welcome. But like six, six and six, Boston College are they in a bowl game? Do I care? No. Oh, Boston College and ECU. I'm all for ECU being in it. I don't need six and six Boston College, six and six West Virginia. I don't care. Well, their athletic departments enjoy the check. So yeah, I'm. They, we all know their money grabs, but at what point do these things not become financially? When nobody's going to the game, when nobody's watching, are these things still making money? There's teams. There's people watching. All right. Okay. You are. You are going to watch Ball State versus Georgia State? Yeah, absolutely. But you're going to watch Virginia Tech play Maryland? Probably, yeah. Wrong with you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But getting back to some of these, um, Missouri Army, I think, is a sneaky, fun game that nobody's really talking about. Florida and UCF, how the mighty have fallen. If Florida loses to UCF in that one, how much more is that going to hurt? I think another fun game I'm looking at here is Texas Tech versus Mississippi State. If you want to get some nice yes, passing yardage on that one, I'm going to really enjoy that one for See, sure. I, I love when they do things like this where they get kind of matchups like that to get get the Mike Leach, the place that made him famous versus the place he's at now. Yeah, don't don't plan on any ground attack or defense on that one. 
Another fun one uh, that I was looking at, I just lost it. Where, where was it? The uh, the Michigan State-Pittsburgh game I think is going to be a lot of fun too. I think that's going to be, you know, you have a Heisman candidate and Kenny Pickett um, playing up against an uh, – I say up and coming. They're not really up and coming because they've kind of been a good study program for a lot of years, but they have they have had their struggles over the last four or five. But I do really think that that's going to be a fun game to watch. Pitt, I don't know how good they'll be – in the next five years, but there have been a really, really fun team to watch this year. So I think that's going to be a fun game to watch. Yeah. Kenny, two gloves, Kenny Pickett. Ooh, well, while we're on the subject, are you in on fake slides? I'm a baseball player. I love fake slides. Oh, it was, I thought it was going to be much more deceptive than it was. And I went back and watched the video. And I was like, it just looks like he kind of dipped his hip a little bit. I thought he like legit, like went down to the ground, planted his hand and like lifted himself up. Cause I didn't see it in real time. Like, Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a Bush league move, but Hey, you got to do what you got to do. It's also, I mean, how do people feel about the dead leg? Like, I didn't feel like, again, and you nailed it, he slowed down. But if you're a defensive player, you're still taught to form up, even if the quarterback's in that. Now, you don't, you're not supposed to hit him. But the defensive players basically, like, turned their shoulders and ran away from him like, they, like he was poison. And then he ended up running for another 30 yards. So I am all for the fake slide. I love it. Now, the, the argument, I think I heard this made by a quarterback, was you're a quarterback. You're already the most protected player on the field. You really need more breaks. And I think that's a fair argument. Yeah, but we like points, so we're going to give it to him. And we just like Kenny Pickett. I really do like Kenny Pickett. So, I almost wore my pit shirt. I should have worn my pit shirt today. I mean, I don't care about Pitt at all, but I do think Kenny Pickett's fun. It's well, their campus is is basically one big hill, and they and it's awful to walk on. So, Is, is Hawaii getting to play in the Hawaii Bowl an unfair home field advantage? Um, I think Hawaii playing Georgia in the Sugar Bowl is also an unfair advantage, so I don't care. Uh, the good old days, the Colt Brennan glory days of Hawaii football. Remember, like, late 2000s football when it was fun? Like, South Florida, Kansas, Hawaii, Utah, Boise, all these teams were good and competitive and were beating up the power schools. Can we talk about the fact that Kansas had their first road Big 12 win this year over Texas, and they haven't been good since 2007? What the heck is going on right now? We can all unify in Texas being anytime Texas is embarrassed, the rest of the world can re, can rejoice and unite around it. I'm I I don't know. I think that Steve Sarkeesian is actually going to do a really good job there, but he oh. struggled this year. Oh, I like Sark, and I think he'll get it turned I around. I love at least, Sark. At least this year, we're all just going to relish the the Texas awfulness. I really do appreciate the fact that we came nearly close to the 2007 chaos but we weren't quite there because we're not gonna have a two loss champion unfortunately sorry uh another team one of these random bowl games if you're again we're just gonna pick out some of the ones that are not really on your radar but if you want to make some time utsa and san diego state san diego state with the second trip of brady hoke there a quietly good team one of the most sneaky programs in college football that we never talk about usually being consistent like an eight and four nine and three team every year's s SDSU and then UTSA the Roadrunners one of the newer teams in Division One typically terrible but they turned it on this year and they were undefeated at at one point I do believe believe they lost their last regular season game but came back to win their conference championship so congratulations to the Roadrunners in that one Uh, now we'll we'll get into the big boy bowl games here Uh, Iowa State and Clemson in the unfortunately named Cheez-It Bowl I look back the history of that bowl game and it just it was like the Camping World Bowl and the Cheez-It Bowl and... Craft Fight Hunger? Well, that one at least has a purpose. Oh, that was a different game? No, I'm just saying, like, at least oh, okay, at least okay. that's like a meaningful name. It's not just named after RVs. 
But two teams who also, I believe both of them were ranked in the top 10 at the beginning of the year. Uh, DJU, the up-and-coming young sensation quarterback at Clemson, and then Brock Purdy, the 30-some-year-old Iowa State quarterback, has been there forever. Two teams who you thought would be New Year's Six bound, but I still think a great matchup. Same can be said for your Alamo Bowl with Oregon and Oklahoma, who are both coachless. I don't know what's going on with both of those two, but that two, uh, the evening of December 29th, afternoon, evening, depending on where you're at in the country, uh, two good, two great bowl games there. I like, I like this unfortunately named Duke's Mayo Bowl. That may be your winner for worst bowl game name is the Duke's Mayo Bowl. North Carolina versus South Carolina. It feels like they should play each other every year, have some kind of rivalry, but the fact they put them in a bowl game leads me to believe that they're not frequent opponents. No, they don't play each other because they're oddly in different conferences. But still, so we're like Iowa and Iowa State and they play each other all the time. But they're also in the same state. North Carolina, South Carolina, it's, what's the difference? Tomato, tomato, it's different. Okay. Just ask them. <laughs> right. uh, you mentioned Michigan State Pitt, which I like. You you mentioned uh, Kenny Pickett, but on the other side, Kenneth Walker the third, who I thought was going to be a Heisman candidate, had a fantastic regular season, a great power rushing attack there, and Mel Tucker in his very, very fat wallet now. I know. What's with all these 10-year contracts? This is amazing. They're very bad decisions, but... I'm sure somebody at these colleges is doing analysis where it's worth it to the program to spend $9 million on a football coach. I mean, $9 million on a football coach 10 years from now is much different than $9 million now. So, Well, uh, the Gator Bowl, another one I really like here, Texas A&M. Remember, they beat Alabama this year. Jimbo Fisher, I think, really has them trending. Watch out for Texas A&M in the next two or three years to be in that national title picture as long as Jimbo's there. And then Wake Forest. Can we all celebrate Wake Forest being good? I've been doing some research for an article ranking every Division One football team throughout their history, and Wake Forest is the worst of the current Power Five teams. Wake Forest is the worst team in college football history. But they have the best mascot, so they were good to go. Yeah, the Demon Deacons are awesome. I love their black and gold combination. Like, you can't hate Wake Forest. Uh, you can hate Texas A&M. That's understandable. But good, good on the Demon Deacons. They made it, and what was a pretty decent ACC championship game, I thought despite fake slides. I mean, maybe. They put 21 points up in the first quarter and didn't score again, so I don't know how hey, good it was. First quarter. I mean, I mostly watch the first quarter of games and take naps anyway. But. Yeah, well, you didn't miss anything besides a fake slide, so. But Wake Forest, good on them getting a 10-3 and season. Nobody saw that coming, and hey, they knocked Clemson out of the Atlantic Division. And that's the real key here. And I don't know, like everybody, and so we're going to, I mean, if we want to move along a little bit, but everybody was kind of getting over the fact that, you know, Clemson is in the playoff every year. Alabama was in the playoff every year. It's like, we need some more. We need some Oklahoma, I think, had made it like three or four or five times. I don't know how many times they made it to the playoff. But they were they were a regular inside the playoff. And so now this year, um, with kind of what happened in the ACC, right, Clemson lost early to Georgia, but they also lost another to like, NC State, I think is who they lost yep, to. NC State beat them, and then that was kind of like, oh, the blooms off the rose. And they got they won a lot at the end of the year, but the first half they finished the season ten and, or like nine and three. Nine and three. Yeah, so they kind of came back into you know the form that we expect Clemson to be at. But I can I really do appreciate the fact that we have you know three new or two new teams. Right. Cincinnati and Michigan are both going to be in the playoff this year, which I think is going to be really awesome and something that again it's different. Um, regardless of what we predict the scores are going to be, I think it's fun to have a group of five team in there, and I really do think it's fun to have a good northern team that's not Ohio State playing in the playoff. We'll, we'll sink our teeth into the playoff here in a minute. We'll get through the rest of these bowl games. Up to the New Year Six, the two that I like the most, Oklahoma State and Notre Dame, and then Utah, Ohio State. Oklahoma State, 
I do wonder what they would have done had Oklahoma State not blown the game against Baylor. Would they have jumped them over Cincinnati? If Cincinnati would have lost, would they put them in over Notre Dame? So you kind of have the question here of, okay, which one of you really deserved it? Notre Dame losing their coach, are they going to play inspired football? As we've talked about before, always pick a team who just lost their coach. But I don't know about this one. Watching Oklahoma State play, they run very hot and cold. I think I'm going to go with Notre Dame in this one, even though Brian Kelly is no longer there. I just I watch enough Oklahoma State football that I cannot trust the Cowboys. Uh, can we talk about the Oklahoma State uniforms in the Big 12 title? Not sure if you watched that game. All orange? It was like all orange, but it wasn't Oklahoma State orange. It was like a weird Clemson or uh, Clemson-Georgia matchup, which Oklahoma State is awesome. They They sometimes do really stupid things when they put the Cowboy on the helmet, but when they do the OSU in their font and they do their black and orange combination with their orange, it looks fantastic when they do it right. But it, they did like a weird orange on orange on white with like a deep orange. I, I don't know what they were trying to do. That's why they lost. I'm calling it right now. It's all because of the, un- the uniforms they picked. It wasn't the four turnovers, the four no. interceptions? No. they. I mean, Lamar Jackson can overcome four interceptions and beat the Browns. Yeah. Had, had Oklahoma State worn like one of their classic black and orange, would have rolled over Baylor. So what is the best combination for Oklahoma State uniforms? Black helmet, black jersey, orange pants, and the helmet has to have the OSU, not the little cowboy face. You don't like the little cowboy face. I hate the I hate the cowboy. Now, the mascot with the giant cowboy head is fun. See, I'm going to go black, black with the white helmets and the cowboy. That's my, that's, I think that's a good look. I'm not, I can, I can do the black jersey, but I need the orange pant if I'm going to do the white helmet. That's a lot of black. Uh, I, I just, I think all black looks really good. Anyways, depending. Marcus Freeman is now, he's a 35 years old, 35 year old head coach in Notre Dame, which is, is a, it's a big job for your first head coaching job at 35 years old. But as he's going in, he's going to be playing Oklahoma State. And I do think they're playing, yeah, okay, yeah. And so, yes. I do think that that's going to be. I do think that Notre Dame is going to actually do play inspired football because of everything that has transpired. But they, his players, they love him, and I do think that they're going to come out on fire. And I really do think that I that they're going they're going to play really well. So I think that Notre Dame is going to take this one. But I that out of all the games that I was circling for the New Year's Six Bowls, it's between that one and the. Uh, the Ole Miss, what is it? The Baylor Ole Miss game. Yeah, so almost... both the Big Twelve teams, I think, are really, really, really good. And it's funny because the Big Twelve for years has been known for this high flying offense. I think Baylor TCU four or five years ago played like a sixty one fifty eight game of the top two teams in the in the conference. And now it's funny because the SEC, the conference, has kind of been known for their defense over you know over the years. And Georgia, especially, right, had one of the best defenses that we've seen up until the SEC championship game. They're almost switched into now they're more of the offensive um conference and so it's kind of a battle of like Baylor's got that really strong Dave Aranda defense and Ole Miss got that really strong uh you know Lane Kiffin offense so kind of which coordinator head coach um kind of takes advantage of um the strength of each other's team so I'm really looking forward to watching that game yeah I almost forgot about the Sugar Bowl and then I looked and I thought oh man Lane Kiffin's involved which I don't really know anything about Dave Aranda other than that he exists and he's a good coach, but Lane Kiffin is Lane Kiffin. So you're in for some kind of fireworks. I'm happy you brought that up. People don't really seem to talk about that. The Big 12 has very much gone away from their air raid run and gun offenses. Now that Lincoln Riley's gone, that may change even more. But those guys, you know, Dana Holgerson's down at Houston. Mike Leach is at Mississippi State. A lot of those guys who created that are gone. And Big 12 has a lot more kind of classic football, hard-hitting defense that a lot of people don't realize. They still think, oh, it's aired out. We're going to score 50 points every single game. 
I, man, I don't know how to feel about Baylor Ole Miss. It's a weird game. I'll probably watch it, but it feels like this weird, strange, old football from 1957 matchup. Uh, Utah, Ohio State is also one. I like this Utah team. They're they're very fun to watch. They're physical smash mouth defense. They play very sound technical football. Kyle Whittingham's one of the longest tenured coaches in the country, and he's got that system exactly the way he wants it. Another team playing very inspired, passionate football based on the season they have. Uh, go ahead and look up kind of what they've been through and the loss of some of their teammates that's really kind of motivated them all year. But then you have the talent-rich Ohio State team with C.J. Stroud, who's a Heisman finalist. So you really have kind of two different teams there, two different styles. I would love to see Utah win this one. I just don't know if they can hang with Ohio State. Unless you look at it as how motivated is Ohio State. They're used to being in the playoff. Are they going to be down? You know, Anything that's not a playoff game, is that going to be considered a letdown for Ohio State? Yeah, and you know we kind of mentioned it before, but I just don't think that the matchup is bodes well for Utah. Utah's strength is their run defense, or their and their weakness is their pass defense. And then again, Ohio State is a pass first team. I mean, they have th- three receivers that are over a thousand yards, right? You think about Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave. They're all three of them are NFL talent, NFL guys. They could be potentially drafted in the first round, right? They're that good, and they put up six hundred yards of offense against Oregon, and they put up yards against Michigan. Right, they put up yards against Michigan State. Like it's a good offense, and so I don't like the matchup in that game. I don't I like, and as a bitter Oregon fan, I don't know that I'll be watching that game, just because I'm bitter that Oregon's not playing it, and I'm not able to go. So, would so would you be bitter about Utah? Would you feel better if Ohio State won? Because then you can say Oregon beat Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, for sure. Okay, all right, and then we are down to our playoff games. You touched on them a little bit. Cincinnati and Alabama in the four versus one, Georgia and Michigan in the two versus three. I am sitting here in a Michigan hoodie, so uh, you can see where my allegiances are. I do think it's interesting, and you can kind of see, the from my perspective, the committee showing their cards here, why they never moved Cincinnati up. You could almost feel like they were anticipating this because they thought, well, we'll get the SEC champion and the Michigan champion one through three. Alabama beats Georgia, then we have to save a spot because you can't move one of them to the four, so... If they had they moved Cincinnati up to three, then they were, you couldn't have had an undefeated Cincinnati and then move them back to four. You had to keep Cincinnati at four in the event that Alabama beat Georgia because those two teams both have to be in the top three, and you're not going to move Michigan down to four. And you're not going to want to. And you're not going to want to rematch. Basically, what you're getting to, right? Right. So that's it, that's why you can see the entire way the committee is like, well, we'll put Cincinnati in if they run the table, but you know we're gonna. They, they didn't want to have to put themselves in a situation to explain why they moved Cincinnati from three back to four because you had to make room for the two SEC teams. So just leave them at four. So which is basically what they did in the first time that they did a playoff. I think TCU was ranked fourth in the last week of the playoff. And then yeah. and then in the initial playoff, they got kicked out, um, even though they won their game for, by 56. Was that for Ohio State? Because Ohio, uh, Ohio State didn't play in the Big Ten championship game. I think so because they were number. They ended up coming in at number four, and then they won the national championship that year. Michigan State, like Penn State, beat Ohio State, and the Michigan State beat Penn State for the. Does that make that sound right? I think that's. I mean, I. I think so. Yeah. Um. But anyways, uh, I think Cincinnati comes in at fourteen point underdogs to Alabama, and I think this is going to be a very similar year. So the year that LSU won it, it was there was there really was only three teams that were, as the LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson that year that were. 
national championship worthy teams and Oklahoma just kind of snuck in by virtue of the fact that they, you know, or Oklahoma, really. they were the next best team to be in the playoff and they deserved it for sure. Right. But they still weren't on the same level as those three teams. I kind of almost think it's the same way here. Um, they are 14 point underdogs. Kind of give me your take on what you think is going to happen in that game. I do think that undefeated Cincinnati is a big deal, but I also think that having, you know, the, the talent from top to bottom on the Alabama roster does make a big difference. So I kind of want to think, want to hear what you think about that. I have such a deep abiding hatred of Alabama that my blinders are on here. And despite the talent and despite what the football tells me, I just, I so badly want Cincinnati to win this one. I, we could probably do the quick research here. I don't know that Alabama has ever lost a first round playoff game. Is that they? Yeah, they lost Ohio state. The first one they? That, mm-hmm. that was in the first round, not the championship. No. Cause then Ohio state beat Oregon. Oh yeah. Uh, so there goes that argument. But the watching Alabama the last two weeks has been confusing because you watch them in the Iron Bowl, and Auburn handled them. A 6-6 six and six Auburn team handled them until the final two minutes of the game, and then Alabama came back and finished it in overtime after being lethargic the entire game. And then they demolished this Georgia team that we all thought was this juggernaut, one of the greatest defenses we've ever seen, and then they give up 41 to Alabama, which could be chalked up to Kirby Smart. Has Kirby Smart ever beat Nick Saban? Isn't that kind of one of those the no pu- the pupil has not beaten the teacher? The only the, the first time that ever happened this year was when Jimbo Fisher beat Alabama. It's the first time an assistant has ever beaten a Nick Saban team. So they haven't. And but again, to your point, Alabama or Georgia has only given up less than a touchdown per game. I think they've only given up twelve offensive touchdowns all year. And they have like five guys on that defense who are going to be first-round NFL draft picks. They have nine five-stars on that team. By the way, if we want to talk about recruiting, the Pac-12 in the entire conference has nine five-stars. Right. The defense has nine five-stars. So I so badly want Cincinnati to win this thing, and I think they're going to play their hearts out and play their minds out. And Desmond Ritter has been there a long time, so I think they've got all the pieces to do it. I would love to see it. I just – my heart – says Cincinnati, but my mind says it's Alabama. They're getting the ship right right now. Do I think either of the other two teams could take down Alabama? Yes. I think Cincinnati keeps it close. I think they cover that 14, but I could see it being kind of a heartbreaking six or seven point loss at the end. Yeah, and you know, I think it's going to be, I think Cincinnati's going to put up more points on that defense than we really think that Alabama should give up because they do have the ability to score points. Um, as they said, Desmond Ritter's been there a long time. He's very experienced. He knows what he's doing. Um, and I don't care who you're playing against. Again, the quarterback play matters, especially in this day and age with the uh, offenses that they are. But if you're trying to have Desmond Ritter complete against Bryce Young, uh, Bryce Young has increasingly more weapons and a significantly more talented offensive line. And I don't think that the Cincinnati offensive line can hold up against the Alabama de- defensive line for four quarters. And so I think... You're probably right where it's going to come down to the fourth quarter, probably a seven-point game in the fourth quarter, and then the Alabama defensive line is going to make two or three plays. That's going to change the course of the game, and Alabama will end up probably covering the spread, but it'll be a close game going into the fourth quarter. So, I was doing some research while you were looking things up. The number four, the number four has beat the number one two times. As you mentioned, Ohio State beat Alabama the first time, and then in 2018, number, number four Alabama beat number one Clemson. I believe that was the Tua team. That math makes sense? Yeah, because then they ended up beating Georgia. Yeah, Alabama beat Georgia. And then the other semifinal game, which I think is the best bowl game of the entire calendar. I love this game, but again, Michigan homer pick right here. I'm scared, though, because that Georgia defense is nasty. Yes, we had the aberration last week with the Alabama game we just mentioned. 
But they're nasty. They're terrifying. I think Michigan can stop that Georgia offense, though. I'm not scared of the Georgia offense, especially with Aiden Hutchinson, Heisman finalist, should be Heisman winner, Aiden <clears throat> Hutchinson, and David Ojabo on the other end. I think they will get after Stetson Bennett, the 16th or whatever his name is. And I think Michigan can hold them down, but can Michigan put up points? Georgia's going to be the best defense this team has faced. Far better than Ohio State's defense. Far better than Iowa's defense. Well. Iowa's defense was known for – they were good for – They were – yeah. They were actually good this season, and then they realized that the offense is – can't score yeah. and, at all. And the scary thing is I think Michigan relies on that rush attack with Hassan Haskins leading the way amongst a slew of backs, with, but he's the main one. I don't know that they're going to be able to get penetration against that Georgia defensive front. So I think Michigan's going to have to find some holes in that passing attack. You saw him do it against Iowa, but Georgia's another level in that secondary. Michigan's going to have to find holes in that deep passing game and make the lateral lateral passing attack work for them. Well, and I think, too, uh, and I mean, the one cool part about the the Michigan team is that they find creative ways to score points, right? I mean, they had the halfback pass against Iowa that was able to go for 60 yards, and that was just like a creative play call that was able to, you know, push the ball down the field a little bit. And so if they're able to come up with a couple things like that, a couple wrinkles, um, I think that they do have an opportunity to to score some points. But you are right. Georgia's defense is really good. Um, Obviously, we know that. And Alabama has different weapons all over the field. So, like, that's kind of an admiration. Like, I don't know that any other team's going to put up 41 points against them. And even if there is a rematch, I don't think that Alabama puts up 41 points again on that Georgia team. Like, they're too good of a team for that to happen. Um, But this is going to be more of a defensive struggle, right? It's going to be a game that's going to be played in a phone booth a little bit. uh, Because I don't know that Stetson Bailey is going to be – he's not built to score – Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett to the fourth. I don't know that he's built to drop back and throw the ball thirty-five times in a game, and he's not built for a shootout. And I don't, but I don't think that this game's going to turn out that way. I'd be surprised if both teams score over twenty points. To be honest with you, wow. it, it might end up being like a like a twenty-one seventeen game, like a twenty-eight to twenty-one game, something in that range. But it's not going to be a very high-scoring game. Two pretty strong defenses, and again, with the defensive line um, on both sides. Uh, but especially with the Heisman Trophy, you know, finalists and um, Aiden Hutchinson, I do think Michigan is going to – they're going to be able to hold their own, but whether or not they can win that game is going to be something to be said. Just looking back at some of these playoff games, mentioning the scores got me thinking about this. Two years ago, that LSU-Joe Burrow team. Both teams over 20, is right? Uh, what do you mean? What's the score of that game? Oklahoma ended up getting a 21, right? So that LSU Joe Burrow team against Oklahoma won sixty three to twenty eight. Yeah, but <laughs> at one point it was like forty nine to seven, maybe, probably forty nine to fourteen. We've we've had our share of blowouts. Uh, the year before that, Clemson beat Notre Dame thirty to three. You had Alabama over Clemson twenty four to six. Clemson thirty one to zero over Ohio State. Michigan State, like we mentioned, lost thirty eight to zero. So. It's you know kind of a mixed bag here. You had a couple of years before that, you had that double overtime game, Georgia and Oklahoma. That Oklahoma, I believe, had won. That was the Baker Mayfield team. To the Baker Mayfield team, they had the return fumble for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. They should have won that game, and then Georgia's running attack yeah. with Nick Chubb came back and ended up beating them. Yeah. Did they have two of them, Nick Chubb and... Uh, I forget who the other one was. They did have two, though. Sony Michelle. Yes. But yeah, they won in double overtime. So these games can really go any way. Two years ago, you had Clemson beat Ohio State 29-23. Which was one of the better games that we've had in the playoff for a long time. Like that was a really good game. So it's it's hard to know for sure. But again, like I get, I would be surprised if both teams score over twenty points because it could end up being that twenty four to three goofy game, or it could be like a 
like a 17-14 game. I just think that the defenses are really too strong in that, in that, and I don't know that the offenses are built to put up that many points, like especially this is probably the best defense that either one of them has really faced all season. So uh, pick, pick out the playoff. You. Georgia, Alabama. And your winner? Alabama. As much as I very, very badly want it to be Cincinnati, give me Michigan, Alabama, and I'm going to do it. Go on the homer pick. Michigan, Wolverines. I should just take a picture of his sweatshirt right now and post it on the, on the page, but they're not going to win, so it's okay. Yes, they will. Aiden Hutchinson. Speaking of Mr. Hutchinson, going to talk about the Heisman here as our last little bit of this show. Well, I guess we have to get back to our bold name awards here in a minute. But your Heisman Trophy four finalists, Alabama quarterback Bryce Young, Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, Pitt quarterback Kenny Pickett, and Michigan defensive end Aiden Hutchinson. Oh, where's your uh, Where's your Heisman money going? The Heisman Trophy winner is going to be Bryce Young, I, in my opinion. Now you're gonna like you're gonna give me that look like a defensive player actually has a chance of winning. It's really they just should. like it's it's really just a thank you for you know having a good season i don't think that he stands a chance and then kenny pickett as much as we all love him he's coming from a smaller no name not a no name college i suppose but it's just a from a school where they're not notoriously ever very good so the chances of him winning aren't going to be as large as the other two so i think the other two are going to gain the majority of the votes but um when you're the best quarterback on the best team which as it stands right now alabama is the best team um, I don't think that there's really much argument there. I think Bryce Young is probably going to be the one that takes away the Heisman Trophy. Bryce Young is the favorite. I would argue that it should be Aiden Hutchinson. I would argue I would rather go Aiden Hutchinson or Kenny Pickett than the other two. Here's my point. How hard is it to be the quarterback at Ohio State or Alabama? Yes, I could not play quarterback for Alabama, but there's probably 100 other quarterbacks in Division One who could put up winning records with Alabama. Where is Pitt without Kenny Pickett? Where is Michigan without Aiden Hutchinson? These two teams are not in New Year's Six Bowl games without their players. And that's that's my big beef. Like That's why I like Lamar Jackson winning when he was at Louisville that year. Derrick Henry at Alabama earned it. I think Mariota at Oregon. Those guys really made a difference. Jameis Winston, Johnny Manziel, RG3. I think those guys really made a difference. You know, Kyler Murray at Oklahoma, Joe Burrow, those guys, yeah, you're part of a great system. Phenomenally talented. They're proving it in the pros, but were they the best player in football that year? I don't know. That's why I love Devontae Smith winning it. Yeah, he's an Alabama guy, but he was a wide receiver. I love them going away from the quarterbacks just to change it up. I just think it's when when you're the starting quarterback and you're surrounded by five-star linemen, wide receivers, and running backs, are you the best player or are you making the most of a great situation? Yeah, and that's, I mean, I don't disagree with anything that you said there. And it's really easy to play point guard in the Alabama system. And you nailed it. Like, how many quarterbacks could play in that system and put up 45 touchdowns exactly what he did, right? There's probably a, there's probably 10 playing college football right now that could probably do that, honestly. And so, and again, when you're playing with C.J. Stroud and you have three first-round draft pick receivers, like, it's also really easy when you throw a screen pass and it goes for 80 yards for a touchdown. Like, you're going to put up a lot of yards. To your point, it's really hard. I mean, we look at what Chase Young, what he was a finalist for two years ago. And, you know, to be to win it as a defensive player, you have to do something that is so special that it's like it's you have no choice but to give him the Heisman Trophy. And I don't know that he's really done something so special that it's just like it's far and away just no, it's ungiven, right? It's just it's just a natural choice. And so like it's it's the way that the game is it's an offensive game this year or this year it's the offensive game for the last you know 
10 or so years, things have changed so much that you have to, again, you have to be that guy that's like, you have to break records and um, be on the best defense in the nation. And there's just so many things that are going against you as a defensive player to win the Heisman Trophy that I just don't know that anybody really may ever win it on the defensive side of the ball ever again. They should. I would at least like to see a close race. Last year was somewhat close between Devontae Smith and Trevor Lawrence, but it hasn't been since 2015. We had a really, really close competition. Here's your impromptu one-question trivia game. Derrick Henry won the Heisman that year. Who was second? What year was it? It was the 2015 season. 2015? Who was second? Uh, I'll make it easy because there was a bunch of guys that played the same position that year. Was it a quarterback? No, it was another running back. There was a lot of good running backs that year. Was it a Georgia running back? It was not. Was it an Oklahoma running back? It was not. However, Baker did come in fourth. Oh, boy. I'm going to take too long to answer the question. I don't know. think that I can get the answer right away. He came in second in the voting. He was actually pretty close in the overall total behind Derrick Henry. CMC, Christian McCaffrey out of Stanford. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a, yeah. Okay, yeah. And if, okay. That makes a lot of sense, and now he can't stay healthy, so. Well, I mean, both those guys are frequently injured. Now, I mean, look at that running back class. Or I guess they weren't the same class, but the same Heisman poll. Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, Zeke Elliott. And now none of them can play. <laughs> Zeke is good. When he's healthy. Well, Fournette technically plays a lot. He's just like one of four running backs. Yeah, it's and I think Derrick Henry had something like 350 carries that year, which is just an absurd amount of carries. 395 attempts. Yeah, I was close. <laughs> That's absurd. Right. All right. Divide that by 15. I don't know what that number I, is. I it's like 25 or 30 carries a game. I don't, I don't math. All right. So you wanted us to pick our three most ridiculous bowl game titles, and I narrowed it down to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's ten of them that I think are absurd. But uh, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Boom, 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 we each do boom, our threes, boom, boom, and then our twos, boom, then our ones. Boom, 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 Okay. None of that's an answer. Number, yeah, we'll do, we'll go back and forth. I think that's the best way to go. So do you want me to go first, or do you want to go first? I'll go first. So my number three, my third most ridiculous, I'm going to go with the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl. Why can't it just be the Arizona Bowl? Side note, why is Boise State playing in this game when they could be playing in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl? Also silly, but it's almost kind of fun. Like there's some of these that we've just gotten so used to, like the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, that if Boise's not going to a big game, I feel like they should be going to that instead of going to the Barstool Sports Bowl. Okay, so for <laughs> these names are hilarious. I don't know, like some of these, I, like, and part of me thinks, like, who comes, who thinks of a company that name? Like, why is this a company name to begin with? So, number, that's a good one. That's actually um, number three for me. Uh, I don't remember. Is the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl? That was that was on my final list. If I have no idea what your company is, why are you like? I know what PlayStation is. I know what Outback is. I know what Allstate is. What, <laughs> what is Easy Post? <laughs> I don't know. Are we putting up fences around the around the That's Hawaii a, Bowl? I don't. That... For all we know, it's a financial service. So, all right. Uh, number two for me. I talked about this game earlier because I like the actual on-field matchup with UTSA and San Diego State. 
but the Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl. Let's go. What I, <laughs> it made me think of Smoothie King Stadium in New Orleans. It's, like if People think the crypt or the crypto stadium is bad. There, there's a lot worse out here in the college bowl game world. Yes, there is. Um, and so number two for me is going to be the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. <laughs> Again, what is your company? <laughs> like, And what does it have to do with football? I get you want to get your name recognition out there, but I want a game that's like fun it makes me think of you know new era pinstripe bowl new era oh hats baseball hats makes sense i get it or you know the bahamas bowl you're going to the bahamas it makes sense Even yeah most... everyone nobody's wondering what the tack with tax slayer is yeah i yeah. i think we all kind of know i think everybody knows what chick-fil-a you know, is this this isn't one of my finalists but i just love the duke's mayo bowl how silly that is i it, very clearly you get that it's mayo i'm guessing a regional mayo brand because i've never seen it on a store shelf in all the parts of the country i've lived in but at least you know what they are and but like the players get those swag bags, do they all get a whole bunch of mayonnaise? I hope so. Bowl? I really hope they get like the chipotle mayonnaise and the garlic mayonnaise and like Ooh. the fat free mayonnaise Ooh. and then like the chunky mayonnaise. I just hope that it's like five different kinds. Like you go to the Fiesta Bowl and you get like the newest whatever PlayStation model is and a bunch of games and controllers and stuff. Gosh, that's the game. That's a game I want to play in. Well, you should have gone to apparently Oklahoma Sh- State. Yeah, should have, should have, could have, would have. All right. Number one, I think we might both agree on it. I don't know for sure, though. I'll let you go first, because I, I have a backup if you want to take it. Oh, we're not going to... The the most ridiculous game, it's the Jimmy Kimmel it LA is, Bowl. It is the Jimmy Kimmel okay. LA Bowl. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... I. The the other one that tickled me is the Cricket Celebration Bowl, which I'm assuming is Cricket Wireless. Just... No, but it's not, because crickets start with a... Isn't it a K, or is it not? It's not. No. Okay, the... well... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it is, but just the, just reading Cricket Celebration Bowl, like, it, are we celebrating crickets? Is it a celebration of crickets? But what about the Frisco Football Classic? What are we doing there? I thought that was an FCS game. That's, what are you talking about? That's not a thing. The Frisco Football Classic, Miami, Ohio versus North Texas. See, I like that. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. The Jimmy, the Jimmy Kilmel LA Bowl is... That's the absurd. most ridiculous one. <laughs> and again, to be determined, our research hasn't cleared yet, is it the person... Or is it the show? Because like, if it's a person, that's amazing. Because I'm looking forward to the Oprah Winfrey Bowl and, you know, the Barack Obama are, Bowl. Are we going to get to that point where, like, some TikTok influencer is going to get their own bowl game? I really hope so. Uh, oh, I, I'm really looking forward to those days. Also, why don't, why don't one of these individual players, now that NIL money is the thing, where's, like, the Bryce Young Bowl? Oh, it's going to happen. There's got to be some player. Like, regardless of if their team is playing in it, they get the sponsorship. I'm ready for it. I'm here. I'm all. I'm all in. I'm all in on it. Ah, the world. What are we living in now? Jimmy Kimmel sponsoring a bowl game. All right. Cheers. And poor Oregon State and Utah State have to play in it. Bummer. All right. Anything else in the college football world before we call it a show? No, I think we're good. I think we nailed it. Go blue. I'm going to play Hail to the Victors as the episode's fading out this week. Bum 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 bum. That's not. That's not the song. Okay. Uh, thank you all for joining us. Appreciate you guys.